<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Thank you. I deserve that. Yes. I appreciate all of you for making things comfortable for me today. Uh, so, this is the last sermon I'm going to give for the summer, and the the great thing about that is it means summer's almost over, um, and uh, I've been telling some people that I think August is not the worst month of the year. July is the worst month of the year, but July is the worst month of the year only because you know August is coming, right? When you're in August, you know September's coming, and I know it's not going to be a, a cold front or anything, but at least we have hope that maybe things get a little bit better, so uh, uh, I'm glad to be at this point in our year. We've been moving through these, these sermons on, on supernatural life, and next week, just uh, so you know, I know some of you will be traveling, but uh, we have Sastri Misala, who's going to be here speaking for us, one of my favorite people in the world and one of the brightest lights I know, and uh, uh, we're just really excited to, to have him come and talk to us. And then the following week, we will be beginning at the, uh, the kickoff of the fall, uh, the kickoff of the, this part of the year for us, we will be beginning in Leviticus I know you can't wait for that, so um, uh, we will try to make Leviticus palatable for all of us. Uh, let me open us in prayer. Thank you, Lord, so much for gathering us here. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we are yours. We have never given counsel to you. But we are certainly in need of your counsel to us. And so would you give it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last, last week, Josh and Ritza came over and uh, he asked me if uh, I've had a theme or something that's been holding together these sermons that I've been giving this summer. And I said, yes, it's the one I've mentioned every single time I've gotten up to speak. It's, it's that one. <laughs> I didn't actually say that to him. But, uh, uh, maybe you haven't quite followed my theme either. It reminded me of uh, a guy years ago when I was uh, speaking at a young people's meeting. Some of you will remember Nicholas Cunningham. He was riding back with me after the meeting I had preached, and he said, Luke, that was a really good sermon you gave. He said, I just have one question for you. What was your sermon about? <laughs> so if you haven't known what my sermons have been about, I'm going to tell you right now. They've been about supernatural life. They've been about life from above, above being transformed into the image of Christ. And particularly looking into how that can happen as we uh, come to understand certain things. Like the love of God and how to rest in our union with Christ by faith. And really, we're just continuing on with that today, even though we're talking about legalism. We're talking about legalism as a, a false pathway, an alternative that we want to avoid, and one that we might easily fall into if we're not careful. So uh, we'll discuss in detail today what legalism is and uh, how we can avoid it. So let me start by just asking you, raise your hand if you're a legalist. Nobody? I'm, I'm guessing we have one or two in here, at least. 
partial one. <laughs> one honest person in here will admit to being partially a legalist. The thing is, nobody really wants to be known as a legalist, right? We all recognize it as something bad. And even if we are a legalist, or maybe the better way for, for Brother Terry and me to describe ourselves would be recovering legalist, uh, you know, on our way out of it. And, and maybe ha- some of it still hangs on to us sometimes. But nobody, everybody recognizes legalism is bad. We don't want anything to do with it. But do we really know what it is? Is it about rules? You know, everybody hates rules, or at least they, they seem to. Uh, when I was in school, it, it, high school years ago, I remember people complaining about the rules at our school. But I, I was surprised then when I was in college, I went to the nursing home and was visiting some people there. And there was an old man there. And he complained about all the rules in the nursing home. <laughs> Too many rules in here. And when I pressed him on it, we pressed him on it, it turned out he was, he was mainly concerned about how he couldn't have an, as many cigarettes as he wanted to have in the nursing home. But even in the nursing home, you can be uh, disturbed by how many rules there are. It was funny because this, this old man's name was Mr. Bow. They had him do something for us. The nurses and the attendants there at the nursing home had him do something for us. They said, you want to hear him play the piano? Like, yeah, so they had him go over to the piano, and I noticed a little smile on one of the nurses' faces, but they didn't tell us anything. I'm like, yeah, Mr. Bell can play the piano. He sat down, like, he may have asked us, or somebody said what we wanted him to play when the role is called up yonder or something. He sat there, got the piano, got ready to start, and then he went like this. <laughs> he started pounding all over that piano, did it for, for a minute, and then after a while he went, like he just played a masterpiece, you know, up and down the, up and down the piano. So he clearly had no rules for himself when he was playing the piano, you know, obviously suffering from some, some dementia or something. But that, that, I bring it up because it illustrates the point that actually as much as we might complain about rules, we all know that we need rules sometimes. You need rules to play the piano. You can't learn to play the piano without following certain rules. You can't play a beautiful song without saying it needs to sound like this. It needs to, you need to put your fingers on certain keys at certain times in a certain way. That those are rules that are followed. You can't do anything meaningful without some rules. You can't play a baseball game without the rules. Imagine somebody getting out and trying to play a baseball game, and they run wherever they want to, whenever they want to, and, and you try to stop them, and you say you're, you're ruining things, you're messing it up for our team. Like, well, I just hate rules. <laughs> we don't need any rules. No, you're destroying the game. And, and, and so when we, when we look at the scriptures giving us rules, giving us law, giving us teaching, whatever term you want to use, we need to be a little bit more nuanced than we sometimes are in talking about it. Rules in and of themselves are not bad things. Rules in and of themselves might be the, the means by which we can arrive at something really good. So we want, to, we want to talk just a little bit about what we mean when we, when we talk about legalism. And I'm going to give you some some definitions of a legalist. I had a longer preparation uh, with a, uh, more detail about what is a legalist. And last night I was talking to Olivia about it. And uh, it became shorter as I talked to her about it. She uh, sweetly told me in so many words. First she said, why are you doing this? And then she in so many words said, if you do that, no one's going to understand a word you're talking about. <laughs> and you're going to bore everybody to tears. So I have a shortened version of what I was going to tell you, okay? And then we're going to get into the scriptures. But, but here are some definitions of legalism. And again, we won't take too much time with these. Some of you may think of legalism 
as attempting to earn salvation by keeping the law or doing works. That's one idea. How we merit a claim with God by doing our works or keeping the law. Now, you know what the problem is if we settle with definition number one? It lets almost everybody off the hook. Because even people who are doing that probably don't know it or they won't admit it. So nobody really says, says I'm a legalist by definition number one. They say, I'm not trying to earn things. I know I can't earn it. I, I, I can't, you know, work up enough credit that I can go purchase the death of Jesus for myself. So no, I'm not a legalist. But that's when we need to nuance a little bit further. Say, well, that may not be all we mean by legalism. We could have a, a number two definition that's attempting to prove one's worthiness or superiority by doing works, by keeping the law. Now we get to something we may have, uh, may have a little bit of harder time wiggling out of. Do I sometimes need to sense myself as doing things that, makes me, that make me worthy of God's acceptance of me? Do I focus on the things I do in such a way that I feel superior to others? Hmm. Maybe we've done that. You ever know anybody who's really proud of their church attendance? I never miss church. And those people out there who aren't really devoted, they miss church. I don't miss church. Or maybe even it, it can be with something that, that's a good thing. Like, well, I do communion a certain way. And we'll talk about it every week, how we do it the right way. And other people don't do it that way. And in some sense, that proves that we are worthy or that we're superior to others. Then there might be, and it gets a little bit trickier on number three, there might be uh, some who attempt to maintain their salvation or maintain right relationship with God by law-keeping works. These people may not be proud. They might just be fearful. They may not be thinking they're superior to others. But just that it's really up to me to get this done. Now, now we'd really need to, like, like I said, if we had more time to nuance and, and to go into detail, we'd need to think more about number three. And, and uh, how does obedience actually play into our life with God? Because there is a sense in which uh, as we obey God, we are staying in that relationship with him. But it doesn't come from a self-centered place. It doesn't come from a worrisome, I'm taking care of things because I have to take care of things. And if I don't, everything falls apart. It, it, it falls upon me to get the laws right. And I hope that maybe some of this will get cleared up as, as, we, as we move forward here. But any of those first three then could flow into a, a definition like number four that takes it less off of what we're trying to do and more puts it more on the religion that we are a part of. Legalism is a religion that centers on a fussy or obsessive or fearful concern with rules and regulations. It elevates the law to too high of a place and keeps it there as other things that should be in that place fall to the side. And so we're fussy or we're obsessive or we're fearful or something like that in making the law occupy too high of a place in our lives. My guess is that a lot of us have been guilty of this. And some of us may still be guilty of it. 
So when we talk about legalism, we want to think about, uh, with, with a little bit more care, a little bit more nuance, who actually is a legalist. And that might help us then to discern whether we're falling into the trap. Now let me ask you something. Was the psalm we read at the beginning of this service, was that written by a legalist? Psalm 119, the whole of Psalm 119 is a praise to the law. It's a thanksgiving for the law. And I put part, this is not the part we read, but I put part of it up here for you. Look, look at this. Here's what the psalmist says. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now, is that a legalist? I don't think so. He's not fearful from at least this part of the text. He doesn't seem to be. He doesn't seem to be fearful. Uh, one of the rules is being violated right now by my son right over there. Um, trying to make his way up here. Uh, he's not fearful. He doesn't seem to be proud. He's not saying I'm better than others. What he is is he's in love. Like, because he knows God and trusts God, he loves God's teachings. And he says, show me these wonderful things. My soul is consumed, longing for these things because he sees a connection between what God teaches him and the life that he wants to live. That's not a legalist. Now, what I want to say is to you, uh, right at the outset, we need to understand that obedience to God is not legalism. Obedience to the Lord Jesus is not legalism. But it comes to us as a part of a different package than obedience comes when you're a legalist. And it comes to us a holistic thing, specifically now as we talk about life in Christ. This obedience flows out of the life that is granted to us in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to open up your Bible, or if you have digressed to the point of using your phone, you can do that as well. We're going to, we're going to read some from Romans 8 and finish in Colossians 2. So we won't just go into great detail here but enough to, to give us understanding in Romans 7 there's a famous passage Paul has written about someone who is whether he's talking about himself or, or not doesn't really matter someone who is bound by failure to be obedient to the law They've tried and tried and failed. And they're dejected and defeated and feeling condemned. And he cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because I can't do the things I want to do. I want to be good. I want to do good. I can't do it. And I'm condemned and defeated. Who will deliver me? And he says, Thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Romans 8 is the extension of the thanksgiving. It is the explanation of the deliverance that comes through Jesus Christ. And there, there's where we start in chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the greatest statements in all of the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you, can I get you to say with me, I am not condemned? Would you say that? I am not condemned. That's a starting place for us in Christ. We come to him not having everything fixed up, not having all our ducks in a row, and he says to us, you're not condemned. But that message of no condemnation comes to us as a part of a package. It's not an isolated thing that's over there. And he says, okay, I see you. 
uh, I'll put a check mark there. You're not condemned. It comes to us as part of all that God is doing for his people. And you see this in, in the rest of this chapter. It's a whole life solution. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life. He may be playing on the word law here as he's been talking about the old law now, maybe, maybe as a principle or something. The, the, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This principle that you're sinning and you're dying and you don't have life, there's freedom from that. And it comes by the spirit who gives life. And this is the answer of Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit is given so that there can be genuine life. We can be raised from the dead. And from that world of defeat by sin that leads us headed towards death, feeling like we're living in this realm of death, that can be defeated, but it's defeated by God's activity, by the Spirit of God who is given to us. This is the central issue. Where do we get life? Not just where do we get forgiveness, but where do we get life? This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. If there had been a law that could give life, then righteousness would have been by the law. See, that, that was the issue. The law was good. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. It's telling you to do good stuff. It just doesn't give you the energy, the spiritual energy to accomplish what it's telling you to do. And so you seek it without that energy, and eventually you fall flat, and you say, man, I couldn't do it. And that starts a cycle. I'm defeated. I'm distant from God. I'm going to try again. Oh, no, I'll fail again. I'm more distant from God. I'm more defeated. I might as well go do more bad stuff. You see how that happens? Because you're not alive. You're trying to do things that you can't do. Verse 3. For God has done with the law, weakened by the flesh. Here, with flesh, we'll just think of our natural, self-determined desires, conditioned by the values of the world. The flesh, our, our natural state. The law, weakened by the flesh. Since, since we're functioning in the flesh, the law can't do what we want it to do. It, it could not do these things. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. God didn't condemn us. But he did condemn sin. He said, sin, I see you and your time is up. You're finished. You're judged. You're done for. That's what God did in the incarnation. Jesus Christ came and conquered sin and condemned sin. In order that, now follow this, this conclusion through in verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God. This is the answer. The law, the righteous requirement, the center of the law. We'll say more about that in just a minute. That can be fulfilled by people who have God working in them. Have their hearts renewed by the Holy Spirit. What the law could not do, God did. Let me tell you that it's of the essence of legalism. To believe that the law can do for us what only God can do. And we elevate the law, and we seek to have the law accomplished for you. You're talking about being justified, being made right with God? Oh, I'll try to do it to the law. You're talking about being spiritually transformed, being a different kind of person, learning to live a new life? Oh, I'll let the law do it. No, Paul says, God has to do it. The law has been tried and failed. You need something else. And that can come to you through the power of Jesus Christ. 
our calling then in light of these scriptures is to let God do what God does. Even when it comes to being obedient, even when it comes to spiritual life. That's what we've been talking about, resting in Jesus, trusting him to do it. It's not that we don't act, that we act from a place that's not us seeking the law, but us resting in the love of God. And we're not obsessed then with the law, we're obsessed with God. We're obsessed with the Lord Jesus. Look at verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Here I think we should think of the mind not just as our thoughts, but our thoughts given over to planning, intending, purposing a certain kind of life. A deep orientation towards something different that includes our thoughts. But it's different than like with football season coming up, we'll talk about this. It's different than thinking about a football game or planning to watch a football game. It's more like thinking that I will become a professional football player. There's a different inner orientation there, right? I can think about a football game, just be on the side of my life, you know? But if I think about becoming a professional football player in a way that I say I'm going to, then I've oriented myself towards that. And I have taken it on in a way that is going to govern my thoughts and intentions and behaviors. So we set our minds, we orient ourselves toward the things of the Spirit, not towards the things of the flesh. In verse 6, it says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Let me tell you something that legalism will never deliver for you. It will never deliver life and peace. A law-centered, rules-oriented version of any faith will be unable to deliver for us life and peace. Instead, it will deliver burdens and fears. And it will get us trying harder to do better and feeling worse because we don't. And looking down on others because then we start to compare ourselves just to try to find the the worth we're seeking. We're not finding it by living closely to God, so we try to find it in comparison to others, so we find ourselves looking down on others. I mean, different people, there'll be different versions. Not everybody's doing everything that we're talking about, but There'll be a fearfulness to it or or self-centered pridefulness to it because we haven't entered into life and peace. What God wants to give us is life and peace where genuine, deep obedience flows. Verses 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, if you're trying to do Christian things with a fleshly mind, you're literally trying the impossible. So if you set your mind, and there is something for us to do here, if you set your mind and your heart on fulfilling yourself, on on having the things of the flesh, on nurturing the dark side of this world that is connected to you, if you, whatever it may be in particular, if you set yourself oriented towards those things, and then say, well, I also want to do Christian things too. You're going to be constantly frustrated. And you've heard of having enough religion to make you miserable. That's what we're talking about. 
That's when you've got, you've got enough Christianity in you that says, yeah, I know I should do those things. I, I think God wants me to be a kinder spouse. I think God wants me to stop doing pornography. I think God wants me to give up my, my addictions, whatever they are. But man, I'm, I'm going to try that, some of that, but, but I also am uh, really kind of in my heart and mind still there. And I think about those things a lot. And I arrange my life so that those things are available to me a lot. And then our efforts, our efforts to do good things completely fail. Because we're living still, even as Christians, we can live fleshly lives. And in our minds and our hearts, we're still given over to the flesh. What we need is a dramatic change. We need a surrender to the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that the Spirit of God will work in us, but we surrender to Him. We give ourselves over to Him. And the orientation of our life changes. We change so that our hearts are now set, our minds are now set on the things of God. And from there we seek to live, and we find that it's life and peace. We have to transition. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is you. This is Christians. You have the Spirit of Christ. You're not in the flesh. You don't have to live with your mind set on the flesh. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We go on to verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now this may look at first like it's talking about the final resurrection. And I think Paul may be hinting at that, by the way. One day God's going to raise our bodies from the grave. But in this context, going all the way back to chapter 6, we're talking about the human body coming alive to God. We're talking about the body being offered over to God, instruments of the body being given to God as we've talked about. In that context, th this passage is saying, God who has raised Jesus from the dead will make your body alive. And all these sinful tendencies that now are a part of our bodies, the natural inclinations we have, to hurt others, to hurt ourselves, to fulfill ourselves at the expense of others and ourselves. All these natural, habitual tendencies, those can really change. Our bodies can change. And your brain's a part of your body. It's a piece of meat. And the brain can be restructured by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that we can actually have our bodies set to start doing different stuff. Instead of looking at people with anger, we start to look at them with kindness. Instead of responding to people who, who offend us with cursing, we start to respond with blessing. Our bodies can take this on and changes can really come into us. You ever known any great saint and you see them and you see that something's different in their face? There's a radiance that shines through them because their body is inhabited by the Holy Spirit and it's come alive. We're all called into that, that kind of radiant life. 
Spirit gives us life. And this is our deliverance from sin. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is possible by God's Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, the fleshly tendencies that have governed us. It's possible to conquer those, to live obediently. Let me just ask you here before we move on. Is there something that needs to die in you? Is there something that by the Spirit of God you need to put to death? And would you believe the promises of the Scriptures today that that is possible? It's not possible for you if you're living in the flesh. It's not possible for you if you're just claiming the law and saying, the law says it, so I'll do it. But it is possible by the Spirit of God. So would you just right now pause before the Lord and say, is there something that needs to die in me? Would you be willing to give that to him today? Let's finish up with Romans 8 here. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as children, as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God and children then heirs. We experience ourselves as the children of God by the Spirit of God. And this is part of our deliverance. The same idea is present in Galatians chapter 3, where Paul talks about the law being our guardian or our schoolmaster. It brings us to Christ. And in Christ, then, we find ourselves being sons and daughters of God. We're all sons of God, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, by faith in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what we discover, is that not just that we have a new system of grace, okay? This is really important. It's not just that, okay, there was a law system, and then we switch over to a grace system, and then we try to work that out in an abstract sense. What we find is a new relationship with God. We find ourselves caught up with an experience of God as a loving Father. And in that relationship where we know Him, we know He knows us. And he accepts us and he pronounces no condemnation over us. In that place where we rest in that, then we find ourselves able to enter life. We don't find ourselves entering life because we figure out a new system, even if it's a gracious system. We find ourselves entering life because God comes to us and by the Spirit of God we learn to call God Abba, Father. That means Daddy, something like that. It's an intimate relationship with God. It's an incredible thing that he offers to us. And, and, and we need to be careful that we don't, uh, we don't miss the, the point here by, because it comes later in this chapter as if somehow if we do everything before this, then we get to call God Abba Father. This is part of the package. It's part of what comes to us. When we come to God by his spirit, he gives us life. The spirit of God comes and says, God is now your father and you can know him and experience that way. 
And it's in knowing God that way that we can genuinely begin to change. But not through saying, oh, I've seen some new things, got a few new doctrines in place, now I can see a few new rules I should try harder to keep, and that's what I'm going to do. You see how that, there's a whole different world in which we live. The one in which the Spirit of God comes to us with power and transforms our existence. Now we know ourselves to be the beloved children of God. And he says, I'll give you the ability to put your mind, to set your inner life directed towards the things that really are good. And as you do that, in relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus, you can find that you have the power to live apart from these things that have dominated you. Now we're not talking about perfection, okay? All our lives will be growing. But we're talking about real power that changes lives. We're talking about entering life and peace. We don't come to Christ and just get a 50% discount on the law. <laughs> All right, but, oh, I'll make it easier now. So in Jesus, yeah, we're going to take away some of those rules, keep some of the other ones. You get 50% off, keep those. No, that's not what it is. Like, somehow God's just going to be a little bit nicer about things. We don't come and just say, well, now we believe some things so we get forgiveness and, and it doesn't really matter what we do anymore. What we come to is life. What we come to is being right with God and then letting our lives flow out of that. What we come to is the, a new heart. Jeremiah 31, when God takes the, the, our hearts and he writes his law on our hearts. And then we begin to live differently. When we move the law into the center of our lives, when we decenter Jesus Christ, we're moving towards legalism, or if you don't want to define it a certain way, it's something just as bad. Here's the key to understanding how grace and obedience work together without being legalist. We understand that God is the one who's granting obedience to us. God is granting us life. Of course, he forgives us and accepts us at the outset. So when we fail, we don't get all down on ourselves and be like, ah, oh. You know, we don't go into the law cycle. The cycle that says, well, now I'm removed. Now I'm dejected. Now I'm defeated. I'll try harder again, but then I'll get defeated again. We don't go back into that cycle. We're forgiven. We're accepted. There's no condemnation for us. He is our Father, and we know that now by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we know then that we seek to be obedient to him, and we find ourselves living in obedience beyond what we thought maybe at times was possible. We find that to be his power and his gift to us, and we start to pray, Oh God, how I love your law. My soul longs for these things because I know that's where life is. And I'm tired of living in this world where there's no life, where it's me, the flesh, my self-centered desires. We find that life given to us. We find that there's a real obedience that flows from that, a genuine obedience. Legalism grows when our religion is separated from the heart of God. And this produces weak Christians, by the way. Because we're separated from the heart of God, we don't know how to live. So we search for laws to guide us because we don't know how to live in freedom. 
We need detailed instruction all the time, looking around, when that's not really the call of New Testament ethics. I'll show you this in just a second. We make certain laws more important than they should be because our heart is not in tune with God's heart. The center of, of the Christian life, then, let's, let's, just, let's talk about this as we, as we move towards the close. The center of the Christian life that's not based in legalism, it sounds simple to say it, but it's based in love. In fact, the righteous requirement of the law, you can make a case that that's, that's just love, fulfilling the law. That's what Paul says later in the book of Romans, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so our, our life flows from a center of love, getting in touch with God's heart, knowing who he is, knowing his love for us. Love flows from us, and that guides our behavior, and that takes you beyond the rules. A constant check-in, constant looking to see if I've done it right. I told you this story years ago, uh, not long after we started meeting again in 2020. I want to tell you again. When, when, we were first, uh, when we were visiting here, thinking about moving here, uh, we went to this, uh, what do you call it, the go-kart place. And uh, Sydney was 11 at the time. It was October of 2019. And we were just kind of making a vacation of it and, and having a good time. And Sydney was, I think it may have been her first time ever to drive a go-kart. And uh, she got out there and uh, towards the end of the time, got, somehow she missed the spot and got confused. And, and uh, of course, as an 11-year-old, you know, she's not going to be the best, best driver. Um, and so she got parked off the way. I could tell she was scared. Right? Now, generally speaking, I try to follow the rules. Right? Um, that's uh, something that I guess I do pretty naturally. And I wouldn't normally violate the rules, but I looked at her out there. I saw her face, and she was looking at me with fear, stuck out there on that racetrack. And I, uh, even though I knew this could get me in trouble, I jumped that fence. I don't actually remember if I jumped or opened the gate, but the story's better if I jumped it. So <laughs> I jumped the fence, and I ran out there, and this lady starts blowing her whistle. Get off the track, get off the track. And I remember I looked at her. And, and, and I said, no, that's my daughter. And that's, that's all I said to her. I said, no, that's my daughter. And I got Sydney out, got her off the track, and let him take care of it. Now, you know what happened in that situation? The rules were there, and the rules are good most of the time. But there was a higher law that came into play. It was a law of love. And... And I'm not trying to act like some hero for doing that. Hopefully most good dads w would do that, right? And you understand, you understand uh, what's happening. Like, uh, there comes a point where we recognize that some things are more important than other things. <laughs> and if you get love right, it will guide you into those things. If you get love from Jesus, of course, informed by the Scriptures... Love from Jesus, modeled on who he is, it will guide us into the right kind of things where we don't need a bunch of rules. In fact, we may need to violate some rules sometimes because we recognize there is a higher law. The law, the center of the law, the fulfillment of God's law is a genuine love, self-giving for others. And as God's heart becomes our heart, as his love becomes our love, we become able to act without constantly referencing the law, without saying, oh, what did it say? Did I miss it? Have I gone off over here? This is why in, in Christian ethics, we're called to discernment. Let me see if I have this here. Yeah, you have these, these calls for discernment, like in Romans chapter 12. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
so that you, by testing you may discern what the will of God is. Philippians chapter 1, further down there, says, It's my prayer that your love, you're centered in love, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what's excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Love guides us into the things that really please God. But we use discernment. That's why we don't have a detailed code of laws in the New Testament for every situation that comes up. We don't have anything like that. What we have is love guiding us, of course, with, with other guidelines given to us, but, but not like a, a, a rigorous law to follow. We're, we're called to have the mind of Christ that can discern and do the things that please God. Well, I've, I, I'm looking at the clock back there, and I realize I've got... Um, I've gone too long, and I, there's a lot more I could say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here. When we have, by the Spirit of God, the heart of God, we're able to start living in obedience beyond the rules and the regulations. And in fact, I would say to you that the rules and regulations will never get us to the place where God wants us to be, to have the heart that God wants us to have. And if we seek that, we'll find ourselves being pretty good at some things. Good at coming to church, maybe good at understanding worship right, whatever it is we focus on. But we won't find ourselves lifted into life and joy and peace. And we won't find ourselves with the power to really, really love people. And we may find ourselves, depending on the form it takes, we may find ourselves constantly falling back into a, a fearful worrisomeness about, are we doing it right? Did we get it right now? And I want you to know that that's not the life God calls you to. God calls all of us to something so much different and so much better than that. The Colossians passage, which I'm not going to take the time to go into now, uh, at the end of that passage that was read this morning, uh, Paul's talking about all do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, these kind of rules that people are, are binding. They're all about things that pass away. Paul says, you're called to a transcendent life. You're called to things that are more important than that. And the, the way he finishes, though, he says, all these things, they may have the appearance of wisdom, but they actually have no power against the flesh. They're of no value in overcoming the flesh. And you see what he's saying? You can get focused on doing a lot of stuff. You can get focused on church rules, other kind of rules. And yet ultimately, that's not going to deliver you from the flesh. And you're going to find yourself stuck in patterns of sin, dominated by slavery to sin, if that's where your heart and mind are focused. But praise God, what, what the law cannot do, God has done. He invites us into real, genuine life with him. And so today, as I close, I want to invite you into that kind of life, too. The life that takes on the heart of God by knowing him, by the power of the Spirit. Praise team, would you guys come on up here? You're invited to really know yourself as a son of God, a daughter of God by his power, and to live in the place of zero condemnation all the time, resting in him. And then from that place, flowing out a life of obedience to him. Let me close this in prayer.
Lord God, would you please make it real to us? Let us know the life that is truly life. Take us to heights beyond what the law can ever take us to, Lord. We are dependent upon you, upon your power. Lord, we ask you to pour out the Holy Spirit in a fresh way in our hearts so that we can live the life that you call us to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.